Welcome to episode 5 of Bond Bonds and Bubble Baths, one woman's journey of living with HIV infection and an AIDS diagnosis for 25 years. This week I will be further delving into why it is women have particular issues of concern and import. Last week I had shared personal reasons as to why I saw red. Yeah, HIV AIDS was in the mix, but there were a plethora of other issues that caused many complications, great hardship, and subsequently wreaked havoc in my life. I think it can be best understood when you look at the literature and the commercials and the public service announcements. Very often, it's all about sex. And I get that. I get that. But what people don't pick up on immediately are all the nuances around having sex. I suspect everyone infected with HIV question and have fear as to whether they will love and be loved intimately, physically intimately ever again. Sadly, what does not get enough attention is what we find ourselves doing while we are sitting in that place of fear. On one end of the continuum, there are those who go, that's it, I'm done. I will live solo. I will not participate with that type of intimacy ever again. And as you move down the continuum, there are those who will practice safer sex that may not include the most penetrative sex, like hugging, kissing, massaging holding hands, snuggling, mutual masturbation. The rest of the continuum, which I suspect is the majority of the continuum, are a bunch of people who are going, how, how can I connect with my partner like I did pre-HIV? How can I have real, honest to good sex with orgasms and sweat and coos and ahs and all the foreplay during, interludes during, and the afterplay. I get it. Not everybody likes hearing sex be that upfront. But I'll make it very clear to you, when I was first diagnosed, the first two years, 1996 through 1998, I found out things about sex that till this day, I am traumatized. Not every sex act is my flavor, but I can't afford to be ignorant that we all have different flavors, nor can I be ignorant that we all are human and desire 
that form of connection. And my hope is, for those of you who are listening, that as awkward as it may be, you can move past the different types of sex and hold on to the idea that it's natural to desire it, to want it, to engage in it, to be connected because of it. When I used to do public speaking, I would try to convey to people when I thought sex began. I thought sex began when your face would blush, when the back of your neck, the hair on the back of your neck would stand, when you would get goosebumps or goose flesh on your arms, when you would find yourself stumbling when trying to say that person's name or share attributes about that person that you fancied, or when you daydreamed about being with that person, and that all of those symptoms did not say, I want sex with that person. All those symptoms said, I like that person. I'm attracted to that person. I don't want the symptoms of sexual attraction to be confused with jumping from A to Z, meaning having those attributes and then diving right into bed. Nor do I want it to be confused with sex education. With the appropriate sex education, then you're able to connect the dots between knowledge and emotion. And one would hope when you put the two together, you can create a healthy framework to make healthy decisions. Now, my understanding, my belief around contracting HIV is that HIV is more than a mode of transmission, meaning we are all placing ourselves in compromising positions, not only to engage in the identified at-risk behavior that becomes a mode of transmission, but there's something or some things happening in our life that has nothing to do with that concrete behavior, that quote-unquote risky behavior. Is it that we don't value our body? Is it that we're too fearful to have those conversations? Is it that we have been conditioned or programmed and or traumatized to not understand the difference between a healthy connection and an unhealthy connection? Is it that we have some kind of body dysmorphia? The list could go on and on. I have said I am but one woman. I am but one voice. I mean no offense that I am not speaking to a male's perspective or a man's perspective or a man assigned or a person assigned as male at birth. 
I cannot identify with any of those. I can, however, share my thoughts as a woman and all the women I have met through this condition called HIV AIDS. This is what I had found about myself post-HIV positive and AIDS diagnosis. It took me more than a minute to realize that I was not a husk of a woman. Because when I first found out, I really was like, why do I have breasts? Why do I have a vagina? Why do I have a uterus? What does it mean to be a woman? I can't have sex. I cannot have children. <laughs> I hesitate there because obviously as we've gone through the journey of this disease, we have found out to the contrary. But when I first found out on April Fool's Day, walking down that 7th Street in that city, in that hearing her careening voice, singing that soulful refrain, isn't it ironic, just killed me. Then I became bold. I said, screw that. I don't know how this is going to unfold. I don't know what is before me, but I am not giving up my womanhood for a virus. I found myself practicing disclosure. Hi, my name is Bethany. I'm heterosexual and I'm HIV positive. How are you? <laughs> of course, I didn't do it that way, but boy, oh boy. It is quite a ride to figure out how you're going to disclose to someone of whom you are attracted to. And you then proceed to, can I flirt? How do I flirt? What does flirting look like? Then it progresses to, well, I need to be attractive. I need to make sure that uh, my hair is done and that my clothes are nice and I know how to walk. All of these things become so important. I am woman, hear me roar, that even the most intellectual among us find ourselves sexually objecting ourselves, sexually objectifying ourselves. And then we find ourselves compromising our decision-making because what would not have been healthy pre-HIV, which obviously made us susceptible to HIV, didn't go out the door. It actually magnified. And we found ourselves, I found myself, being so desperate, and I hate that word because I did not think of myself as desperate at the time, but in retrospect, I was desperate. I was scared, yet I was also adamant that I wasn't giving up my life, which included what it meant to be a woman. This wasn't limited to all things physical and all things attraction. I had to prove myself in the workplace. I had to prove myself as a mother. I had to prove, 
just prove myself everywhere all the time. Then I found out I wasn't a shallow husk of a woman. I was creating a facade husk of a woman. And I see women even now today doing it. They flaunt their cleavage. They stick out their tongue. They wear tight-fitting clothing. And they're like, I am still sexy. I still can have sex. I am still relevant. I am still important. And I wonder, as I did then, and as I watch the women now, I question how much of that is overcompensation. How much of that is rebounding? How is that the continuation of not only having to prove ourselves, but the continuation of the damage that made us compromised in the first place to contract HIV? Admittedly, I land much more on the prude side. I'm much more modest. I am much more hush hush. That's me. There are women who are super vocal, super open, and super in touch with their femininity and their sexuality and their sensuality. I am not here to debate that. Rather, I am sharing this for others to contemplate just how it is we may actually continue to perpetuate using our womanhood as either armor or as a weapon because we are still vulnerable, we are still hurt, and we are still making unhealthy decisions. There is so much more to address here because it's not just about sex. It's about connection. How are we communicating with our partner? Where are we spending time with our partner? How much do we know about our partner? What is it we are willing to disclose outside of HIV? Have we been abused? Have we been forgotten? Do we have a mental health illness? Again, the list could go on and on. And instead, once again, in lockstep, the commercials, the PSAs, the literature, it's all about, hey, I can be normal. Hey, I can have sex. Hey, I am more than HIV. And that's awesome. What's not awesome is that we're not talking about all of the different variables that goes into having healthy relationships, particularly women. And why do I say women? Women still are not included in clinical trials for U equals U. Women still have to have huge campaigns to counteract the fact that they are the silent minority that women still have oversight in their medical treatment because of their internal 
reproductive organs, that they still do not get the attention and the discussions and the skills around what it means to do breast exams, what it means to manage their menstrual cycle, what it means to go through all the phases of menopause, what it means to be maternal to your child, what it means to be a leader in the workplace or their church home when we are already combating things in terms of stereotypes for leadership with problems with glass ceilings with equal pay and I have my opinions on those things and I'm not sharing today one way or the other I am saying they are topics of discussion and I am frustrated last week angry this week frustrated that still as of today November 29th 20 21. You have to search and a lot and knock on so many doors to find an organization or an individual who gets it, who gets all of that. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I do hope you found it thought-provoking and will encourage you to join me next week. In the meantime, I welcome your feedback. Please go and visit www.bonbonsandbubblebaths.com. If you are interested in my daily missives, which has everything to do with my personal life now, as opposed to retrospectively, please join me on Instagram at bonbons and bubble baths. Until there is a confirmed cure that is available for us all, let's share the wisdom and make healthy decisions. Until the next time.